does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals from around the world. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Great to be coming to you from the CTAA Small Urban Network Sun Conference in Missoula, Montana. And this is, for me, the first in-person conference I've been able to go to in close to two years. It's very exciting. It's all being done safely, all following all the protocols. And uh, But it is great to see friends like these guys at Elea that I haven't seen in quite a while. Thanks so much, guys, for being with me. Well, thanks for having us, Paul. All right, great to be here. Let me uh, introduce who's in the room here. This is uh, an August uh, gr- group here that uh, listeners don't often get a chance to see all together. But I just got a chance to see the three of them uh, talking about what's happening in Washington uh, on a panel here. And that's Scott Bogren, Executive Director of the Community Transportation Association of America. Scott, thanks. Great to be here, Paul. And my good friend, Rich Sampson, who is Executive Director of the Southwest Transit Association, SWATA Nation, uh, is with us today. Yeah, great. Glad to be here, Paul, as well. And Ed Redfern, who is a longtime industry advocate from the executive director of the Bus Coalition. It's great to see you. Thank you. And uh, with me helping to do the interview today is Alea Carey. Many of you will recognize her, giving her regular messaging minute from my show. In from San Francisco, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely delighted. All right. So first off, we just want to get some introductions going. So why don't we go around and just introduce yourself and what you do and what your organization does. Scott? Sure. Uh, I'm, uh, as, as, as you mentioned, I'm the executive director at the Community Transportation Association of America, uh, for time's sake, often known as CTAA. Uh, Paul, you and I have known each other for the better part of 30 years. Um, our organization uh, works with and represents rural specialized, non-emergency medical, and for these purposes of this session here, uh, small urban transit systems. We provide technical assistance, advocacy, training, uh, all sorts of uh, ways to hopefully allow them to serve their communities better. That's the, that's the focus of what we do. And this conference, Scott, you do two conferences a year. This is the Small Urban Network one. I went to the one a couple years ago in Athens, and like I told you last night, it's one of my favorite conferences I go to because it's not thousands of people, it's a little under 100 people. They're all executives. Uh, you've got, a, I don't know, it looks like you have more than 100 here to me, to be honest with you. We, we would have had more if it wasn't for the uh, Delta variant, but yeah, yeah it's a good group. Um, and, and that is what this conference was designed to do. It's, it's kind of designed to allow these folks to talk and yes. network and share ideas and do it in a way that um, is uh, collegial, and the, that's why being in person is just so important to it. Yeah. Like this is not the kind of thing you can do no, you could, on yeah, a Zoom right. screen. It just, it just yeah. doesn't, it's not conducive to it. And, and we're just so grateful that that many people showed and that we can kind of get this. I, I think I said last night, I almost feel like I'm getting away with something yeah. that we're face to face with people. And, and, and it's like exercising a muscle that you haven't exercised for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it, it, it's, it's just wonderful to, to be, be doing this again. That's great. All right, Ed Redfern, tell us a little about yourself and your organization. You guys do amazing work. I told you earlier that uh, you have the latest and greatest all the time for me. Whenever I need the latest, what's happening 
with funding. I know the other guys have it too, but I always uh, enjoy looking at what you put out. Well, thank you. Um, the Bus Coalition is about 350 members from uh, 47 states. Um, and our one mission, and we're, we don't try to be an APTA, we don't like to, uh, we don't try to be a CTAA. We want to complement them and right. help them get federal funds for transit systems around the United States, um, mostly in the uh, capitals programs. Yeah. Uh, we focused in that specific area, and um, since we were started about nine and a half years ago. Um, we've been able to bring back about $3 billion back to bus transit systems um, after MAP 21 took yeah. our money away. Yeah. Um, but uh, our goal is to help get back transit funds for our transit systems. That's great. And your chairman? Uh, I'm executive director. Um, and your chairman is Bill Carpenter. Bill Carpenter. buddy from Rochester. Uh, Rochester. Yes. He was the very first guest on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, he kicked me off. And uh, it, it was one of those bucket list moments because when I went to Buffalo uh, the night before, I actually got to see the U2 Joshua Tree concert uh, there. And so I was able to I was trying to combine a little fun with all this. Just like here, when I came here, I got to go see Old Faithful uh, down at Yellowstone. So, yeah, always try to combine a little pleasure fun with your work. All right, now my buddy Rich Sampson. Rich, tell us about yourself uh, and your organization. Sure, thanks, Paul, and appreciate you having me. Uh, I'm Rich Sampson, the Executive Director of the Southwest Transit Association. Uh, we, we call ourselves the SWATA Nation. It's an eight-state regional transit association that uh, represents transit systems from all sizes, large urban, small urban, rural, tribal, everybody in between in eight states stretch, stretching from Louisiana to Arizona and Colorado to Texas. So the south and west portions of the country. Uh, and our, our members, we have about 100, 125 members that are transit systems and other 100 uh, uh, business and vendor representatives from that part of the country that really enjoy getting together and having a Gary Thomas, formerly of DAR, sit, sit down with a rural transit director and take off their ties and kick up their feet and really talk shop a little more. Uh, so we, we do networking, conferences and events, trainings, um, and we also do advocacy work in support of CTA and the Bus Coalition and APTA, um, not only uh, enhancing their messages, but really focusing on the priorities of what makes transit uh, important and different in the Southwest portion. And I uh, have to say thanks to Scott and CTA. I've worked there for 17 years, and uh, I learned so much from both Scott and Ed, uh, especially working on the Hill. So uh, it's my pleasure being with them and you all today. So. That's Thanks. great. Yeah, absolutely. It's great having, so this podcast is heard in a hundred countries. Uh, it's the number one transit executive podcast in the world, but these guys are all from America. And so we're going to be talking about what's happening in the United States of America right now for our listeners. Also, just let me introduce Alea Carey. Alea normally gives a, a short messaging minute, but Alea, tell us a little about yourself, if you don't mind. Oh, thanks for asking. Uh, I, I'm a person right now who's sitting at a table with some of my personal and professional heroes. And a year and a half ago, something called a pandemic hit, and I had been working in venture capital and tech startup for 10 years, and um, I wanted to do something better with my life. So I've turned my attention to helping smaller transit agencies with communications challenges, and uh, I, I never imagined work could be this fulfilling. So I'm delighted to be here and can't wait to hear what you guys have to share. All right. Cool. Great. Yeah. So she does uh, once a month a messaging minute for transit systems, how to, you know, how to use emails better, how to use social media, how to use, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So 
Great to have you with us. All right, so let's uh, circle back around and Scott, um, tell us about, so this will be uh, heard in the um, latter part of August, early part of September. Um, and maybe the House will have come back and voted in the budget or whatever. But just right up front, uh, while we're talking today, the U.S. Senate just passed an infrastructure bill on a bipartisan basis that a lot of people thought would be you know, unheard of, but it happened. Tell us in general what went on there. And, and there's so many things happened in Washington. Maybe you can explain you know, the reauthorization versus this. Are they working together and that kind of stuff? Because I think a lot of folks... There's so many moving parts or moving chess pieces, if you want to use that. A lot of regular folks in transit maybe aren't clear on what just happened. Sure, sure. Well, you know, the way this is all supposed to work, I'll start there. The House passes a bill, a reauthorization bill. Uh, the Senate passes a series of reauthorization bills because in the United States Senate, highways, transit are in separate committees. Then they conference the two bills goes to the president and they sign it and off we go with five years worth of ideally good legislation and, and our members, all of our members continue to do what they do. Um, this was a very unusual circumstance. You had obviously the pandemic, you're, you're coming right on the heels of a lot of money being spent in an emergency appropriations, $70 billion uh, off budget. Um, and so we knew from the get go, this wasn't gonna be the normal situation. Uh, but the House, with uh, Chairman DeFazio's leadership, went ahead, uh, uh, really passed an aggressive bill that was um, very, very good for transit, um, got that done, passed the whole House. And all of our eyes turned to the United States Senate that has been bogged down for years. And, and what really ended up happening was the Banking Committee of the United States Senate could not engage effectively, even though I know they worked very hard to get a product out. So the, 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 the Congress started to look at, well, how else then can we do this? And it just so happens that the president had put forward an infrastructure bill and the Senate was taking a leadership role in kind of, we'll call it massaging or customizing yeah. the infrastructure piece. And it became clear about six weeks ago that that was going to include the Senate's version of reauthorization. So they had this vehicle that was moving, let's attach it to that rather than force it. And this is a product in the United States Senate of having the split. If there was one committee in the United States Senate that dealt with surface transportation, you wouldn't be able from a partisan way to separate highways and transit. It would force both parties to work together. We don't have that. So this is, this is how this played out. And it was tortured. Uh, there was tons of fits and starts and rumors. And we, we all were engaged in. And, and, you know, I try my best. I know Ed and Rich are the same way, like not to react to every rumor and run out to our members saying, oh, you got to call right now. But you, you got to, uh, you know, in, in our position, you got to try to figure out when is it real? You know, when, are, when do you see the right people coalescing around an idea where it is the right time to engage? And there's, it, that's been tough to measure. But in the end game, they ended up passing good legislation for transit. It's not perfect, but it locks in five years. It's growth in all the most important programs for CTA's members. It has significant growth on the bus side, and Ed can talk about that. Uh, uh, 
And it's, it allows us to get this done now while this window is open in which to get this done. And that's critical because if we don't now, we're going to move into the 2022 election cycle. And, you know, those outcomes are unknown, but uh, the unknownness of those outcomes is going to make doing anything like this impossible, probably for 18 months, if not at least for two years. So this is a window. This gets the job done. It has growth. It's a good bill for us. It deals with pay-fors in the short term, not the long term. It's not perfect. But if you're, an, if you're a transit system, if you're a listener to this podcast and your job is putting buses on the streets tomorrow, you're going to like this bill. So just to clarify and to verify, that's great. That's really good. And, uh, I'm glad you showed this out, especially. This bill that the Senate passed includes not only new money from infrastructure, but also a five-year reauthorization. Correct. Okay, good. Correct. And now we'll go to Ed and tell us some of the highlights of what's in the bill for you. Well, for bus transit systems across the country, your 5307 or 5311 programs, you'll see a 43% increase in funding from those two areas. For the Capitals program, the 5309 uh, or 5339 program, you're going to see a 172% increase in bus capital funding. Um, that's unheard of. It's been really great uh, to see the numbers uh, the way that they have. Same thing with uh, if you 53, uh, 37, all of them increased by 43%. So um, you'll see a lot of funding. If you're a rail program, you're going to see, I think it's a hundred and I forgot what the percent is, increase in their funding too. When you add up a bunch of the plus ups that have been added uh, overall. But uh, again, this bill has a way, a way of going because you have to, first of all, it passed the Senate. The House is coming back on the 23rd of August. They're going to have a process of trying to get it through. But you have so many members that want this bill to go through immediately when, when, it, uh, when, it was, uh, when they come back in session. But then you have others who wanted to wait for a reconciliation package. Right. And so the bill may not get passed until sometime in October just based on the process or whatever process that uh, the speaker finally decides on. So it may be a while before we see it actually passing, but DeFazio has indicated that he's not going to take it to a conference committee. So the Senate bill is what we're going to see for reauthorization. That's good. That's good for people to know. Yeah, that's good. Rich, what's your take on all this? And uh, I know there's a couple specific parts of it you wanted to pull out. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Paul. Uh, you know, looking at it from our some of our SWAT members, you know, we have large urban systems like Dart and Denver and Phoenix that, you know, do major capital projects. There's a lot of increase in the capital investment grants program, which is new starts, which is state of good repair, which is the small starts program, other aspects, including some dedicated bus capital. Uh, and that is significant growth for those programs. And this is where you see it really connect to the infrastructure bill part in that the previous kind of 
uh, five-year authorization bill, the FAST Act, had about $8 billion for capital investment grants. This goes to $15 billion. This is significant new projects, whether it's light rail or bus, bus rapid transit, streetcars, uh, that you'll be able to see in the SWAT nation around the country. Um, so we're really excited to see that. Also, for the first time in the same bill, you're seeing transit programs and Amtrak and inner city rail be put together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Amtrak delivers a lot of riders to public transit systems and vice versa. Uh, this is the most amount of new funding in Amtrak's history. Uh, $66 billion for freight and passenger rail. Of that, most of it's going to fix up the Northeast Corridor and add new routes, including some to places like Shreveport and Wichita. Oh, um, yeah, so we're excited in the SWATA Nation. Not a lot of investment in that front. It also supports some commuter rail activity under the FRA programs. And last thing I want to talk is really nuanced, but is really important to some of our, our smaller members is there's this old program uh, from the GSA stipulating how much you could sell a vehicle for after its useful life, after 12 years or six years, whatever the FTA window is. Previously, you couldn't sell it for any more than $5,000. If you sell it for more, all that money would go back to the federal government. Uh, thanks to Senator Inhofe and his staff um, and the work of the Oklahoma Transit Association, uh, we got this provision that if you're able to sell for more than $5,000, uh, you, that agency can keep up to the full um, local match they put in to purchase that vehicle. So say they purchased a vehicle for $100,000 and they put in $20,000 as match, they could keep all of that $20,000 if they're able to sell that vehicle. How often does this happen? Well, I just saw three buses here in Missoula that clearly had been sold to a community center. Mm -hmm. uh, and was is the transit agency able to unload those for you know, some profit, uh, maybe they could do just a little better under this program. So it's it's not a huge reach, but for the systems where it matters, it's a big deal. That's great. So uh, there's lots of different aspects of this bill. And, um, you know, there's ways that the, the House House bill is a little better, and there's ways that this bill is a little better. But overall, uh, if, if we were looked at this a couple years ago, or certainly 10 years ago, you would have said, we're making this up. It was yeah, a Hollywood yeah. story. It's almost unbelievable. Yeah. And I think with time too, Paul, it's going to look better. Once okay. you, you, you always look at these, 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 these are multi-year massive pieces of legislation and, and our members live with them and, and, and all the detail and the yeah. minutia that's in them over a five year period. And some age poorly and some age very well. I, I'm here to say, I think this bill is going to age well because of what the potential changes in the environment politically in the United States. Uh, 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 clearly, we could be looking at, I mean, there's been a lot of spending coming out of Washington, yes. D.C. In case yeah. okay, I don't have to tell anybody that. Yeah. There's a buyer's remorse that's gonna, that, that tends to be an e almost predictable reaction to a lot of this. And I think that's going to make this bill age well. As, as, so so we, we like it now. Three years down the road, we may really like yeah, it yeah. because of the different the change in the environment. That's interesting. So what it says to me is, um, to me, I see all this as the silver lining in the pandemic, right? Because the pandemic showed, I think, to a, this is what I, as a former politician, a county commissioner, and all that stuff, I can tell you that what a lot of um, local and state politicians have seen, and now I think at the federal level is that they always thought public transportation was really a local uh, responsibility, right? It's the local city, the local county, or this, whatever. But this has shown that it's a national priority. The pandemic showed that 
when the nation had to basically shut down for six months to nine months, public transit was what was carrying all of our essential workers. And without public transportation, really the wheels of our economy would have fallen off. And so now they're saying, ah, I get it. This is a national priority. And just like we've seen proven over and over again over the eons, Napoleon, you know, the national leader being the one to invest in uh, public facilities, anything major and massive that happens in a country has to have federal involvement in it. And this, I think, we've crossed the Rubicon now. I think that the federal policymakers have realized this has got to be their priority now, too. So it's very exciting. Now, before we go on, I'm going to ask Alea to ask you a question. Now that you've told us kind of all these amazing things, she's got a question about how do we communicate this? Right. So you guys are talking at the level of the first thing that came to mind was Bill James baseball abstract, right? This is like super, super detailed phone, yes. phone book of... We like to call it nerdy. <laughs> super nerdy. So, um, so how do you cook that down for transit organizations and what they need, how they need to talk about this to their public? Because their, their public is, you know, marginally interested in these things as... as voters and as transit users, members of the community, but um, you don't want to ugly it up for them, right? Uh, and, and alienate them with too much detail. So what are your recommendations about uh, how do you go to the public with big, big stories like this? One of the things I, I think that how you can do that is uh, to say, look, this gives us the ability a transit system, the ability to modernize our programs, our buses that will have technology on it for today. You'll have a bus that'll have uh, a system where you'll know exactly where it is. So it's coming to you. You'll know where it is. You'll have uh, Wi-Fi on it. You'll have all the bells and whistles that we've never been able to, to have. It's not your grandma's or your uh parents transit a system anymore. You're going to have a modern day system because the federal funds are there to do it as long as the local governments continue to help fund it to give you the local shares to be able to put it together. But you can use that as a tool to um, modernize your system. And I think that's what our transit systems will be doing. You know, yesterday, Rich and I were on a tour with the transit system here in Missoula. And uh, Corey Aldridge, the GM here, mentioned that two years ago he had done a survey, a broad survey of the community, and he was looking for favorability. Like, what did they react to? And, and, and he'd be the first to tell you the majority of people answering never ridden a bus. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And 80% favorably, the number one favorability was a battery, an electric bus. Ahead of marginally, I think he said 75% favored zero fare. Right. Um, and and that that is going to allow systems all around the country to be able to get that kind of technology that can change the optics of what they are in the community. Yeah. And Scott, to build on that, I would say the difference here is transit can be a transformative solution and, and asset in these communities. You know, so long transit kind of beg, borrowed, and steal, stole to get where it was. And, yeah. you know, if you hear like somebody like Robbie Macon in from Kansas City, who's, you know, but Paul, I know you've had him on this program before. 
it's not just about running the buses and the trains well, and that's of course the first thing you need to do. It's about improving, radically improving outcomes in people's lives. And there's all kinds of different ways to do that. But what this level of investment allows these systems to do is have predictable and stable funding, and then more than that, so they can make new and better decisions so they can serve more people and get more people to jobs, healthcare, whatever they need to do to really improve quality of life in their communities, that's what this next level of commitment from the federal government yeah. does. And CTAA just came out with a study uh, which kind of talked about that. And Scott was actually a guest along with um, Stuart Mader on a show a couple of weeks ago talking about that study. And, and I want to just pivot for just a second to that because I think you bring up a very good point. The messaging, and it builds on what Alea just said, the messaging about what transit is about I think is shifting, right? So during the middle of the pandemic, Scott, what were we doing for people and what should we focus on now as we shift from just mass transit to mobility and now what Robbie and you were talking about, Rich, which is community building? Well, you know, you picked up on it at the, at the very beginning of the pandemic. Rich's members, CTA's members, there was this massive pivot to delivering meals, delivering prescriptions, uh, grocery access, as well as what you, you know, articulated in terms of getting essential workers to essential jobs. Right. And, and we saw that pivot. And I remember thinking to myself, if people can't get out to the grocery, if they can't get out to get a prescription, when the vaccine finally becomes available, they're gonna need help. And that, and that we are already built connector between communities that are gonna have a really hard time with the vaccine uptake because they're rural, because they have disabilities, because they are low income. These, we're gonna be a great connector of those populations who, by the way, CDC was telling me, we are so concerned about how to communicate with these groups. It's like, use us. We, we are assets that are already in this game. And that, you know, we, we wanted to make sure with that report that the discussion, the narrative, as I mentioned when we, when we talked with Stuart, was about what transit was doing and not how much money transit had received. Right. Uh, uh, those go hand in hand. And sometimes the people that don't like transit, they only want to focus on the one. Mm -hmm. And you have to, like, force them, well, look what happened. And I, and I think in terms of, like, how you articulate what is the value of a vehicle, of a system, of a network in a community. Well, I, you know, I think with time, making sure people are vaccinated, there'll never be a more important job for public transit than doing that. Ed, tell us about um, where the, where is the, uh, so in America, public transportation has traditionally been made up in my mind of six modes. So it's been fixed route bus, light rail, subway systems, commuter bus, commuter train, and paratransit. Those are the six modes. I used to run those six modes at MTA in Baltimore. Now you've had this new explosion of microtransit providers, the Ubers, the Lyfts, the, who are individual TNCs, the Vias, and, and all the other companies that are out there. Um, from your perspective as head of the United States Bus Coalition, where are, and, and now this whole new trend of electrification, low, no, where are we going as a, when it comes to public buses in America and really around the world? Well, I think in general, um, with the funding that's available, I mean, there's an extra, for the next five years, an extra billion dollars in funding for infrastructure. 
um, whether it's buses or whether it's the facilities that people need. Um, and that will help get these systems building a product that people will want to get on. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. People haven't wanted to get on buses uh, because they just, either they were not clean, they didn't feel they were safe, but now they should have the money to put a program in place that'll keep people moving and going and going forward. So a better product. A better product. Yeah. And it hopefully will get people out of their cars and into the buses. Like here in Missoula, it's free. You can get on a bus and go anywhere in this community that you want and need to go. And a lot of communities are now going to fare-free systems um, or at, at lower costs. But anybody can use it. And I think that's important. You know, and to build on that, Ed, uh, I think what this, this funding will allow us to do is to run buses and trains much more frequently and more reliably. And when you have good bus and rail lines that can have high capacity volume, run those as often as you can. Yes. And if people listening around the world will sometimes note that in the United States, we don't run our, our buses and trains often enough. That's right. So that's one aspect. Then on the paratransit slash demand responsive side, we can do way better than the 36 hour reservations that we used to have in the past through new technology. Now you can actually get, imagine this, a demand response, demand in demand response. When yeah. you're ready to go to the grocery store, you don't have to call two days beforehand. So you'll see in the fixed route side, much more frequent and reliable service, and then more on demand that can meet your need to get you either to that fixed route network or within those smaller community zones, more reliably using technology, um, tons of applications out there. And I think that's where you're going to be seeing us head. Yeah, you know, like Paul, you talk to GMs all around the country, some of the, some of the, the best of the best. Um, there's a, an emerging definition of what quality is in our business. And it's just what Rich just was speaking about. It's frequencies where, that, where that's the right Yes. Tool. Yes. It's better on demand where that's the right tool. And it's an understanding of when to deploy these different modes to get the outcome you want. And this these funds are now going to be there to allow people to capitalize those ideas. That's great. Yep. We we've had a, uh, a big inflection moment, haven't we, where ridership was decimated. And so it gave the policymakers and the leaders of our transit industry the opportunity to reflect in a Simon Sinek moment. Why? Why are we doing what we're doing? And I think it's shifted some to what you just, what you two gentlemen just said. It's not really all about uh, the nine to five commuter. Exactly. It's really more about mobility and getting people access to all of life's opportunities. Yeah, it's the totality. You know, you 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 mentioned uh, or on your way up here to Missoula, you, you visited uh, Old Faithful. Yes. And we were laughing uh, when we talked about that because Old Faithful has 90-minute headways. That's right. And, yeah. and, 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 and we were saying, you know, it, geez, couldn't it be a little bit more efficient yeah. than that? But but there's an understanding that if – it was said earlier in the session today, talked about changes in headways, and and, and the magic word was – and the riders don't need a schedule. That's right. Right. Make yeah. it a simpler. Yeah. Boom. I mean, and, and earlier in another session we had here, uh, when, when your on-demand time goes from three days advance notice down to an average of 15 minutes, you're changing someone's life. That's right. Yeah.
Yeah, I, listening to this, we were talking last night, Scott, about bus stigma and um, the idea of, of how bus systems, especially bus-led systems, have been sort of ha always having to be defensive about, you know, uh, your own existence, quite frankly. And I think one thing that the federal funds um, indicate is a shift in that thinking. Like they sort of, they sort of bless transit systems with um, this, this idea that we're worthy, right? Mm -hmm. And that, and that we do deserve to have this, we do deserve to have this, and, we, and the people who use transit systems deserve to have better service. That seems to be like, suddenly that's part of the conversation. And I think that grew out of pandemic thinking, you know, when a grocery store clerk doesn't get to work because she doesn't have a bus she can ride on, like that's a tragedy in anybody's life, right? That could, that's a real danger. So I think that's another silver lining yeah. like, you, like you were talking about, Paul. Yep. That's good. Scott, tell me about what CTA has coming up uh, for the rest of this year. What's your, what are your big projects you're working on, your conference, all that stuff? Sure. Well, uh, uh, we're, we're, once, we, once we finish here in Missoula, uh, we're, we're going to try to focus. Um, we've got a couple of training products coming out that I'm really excited about. And it kind of speaks to some of the, 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 the way transit can, can change someone's life. So we've got a training product that we should have out by the end of the month. It's going to teach people in the substance abuse treatment and recovery realm how to understand the transit challenge that's inherent in getting people to treatment. Uh, you know, we in, in the terrible time we've had with this pandemic, it's almost gone unnoticed that 90,000 people died of opioid addiction last year. And that challenge, we have not made headway on that. And when you talk to professionals in those areas, one of the pain impediments is getting someone to treatment. And so uh, we decided we wanted to teach the social workers and the substance abuse treatment counselors to be mobility managers. So we got a training coming out on that that I think, you know, I know myself, my team, we're, we're really excited about. And, and we hope that that gets a lot of traction nationally. Uh, we've got our annual conference is going to be uh, in Richmond, Virginia, November uh, 8th through the 11th. We're excited about that. You know, we kind of view coming here as a little bit of a test run yeah. to, to get a sense of like, how do we do in person in a way that can make everyone feel safe and yet, but also still be conducive to the reasons we, we want to gather together, which is sitting around a table like we are here. So we're, we're excited about that, that conference. And there'll be, I'm sure, a lot of interpretation once this bill passes on yes. what it all means. Yeah. 2,000 pa till that, two thousand pages yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of digging in on that, a lot of digging in on that. And I'll work with, with Ed and, and with Rich and, 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 and trying to make sure that our members understand uh, uh, what's in it. They're not going to read 2,000 pages. They, right. they actually have systems to run. Yeah. They count on us That's to be able to yeah. give us the bullet points. That's and good. so we'll be doing that too. All right. Excellent. And how about you? What's the bus coalition got going on? Well, to make sure this actually does get passed. <laughs> that's that's yeah, kind of where it is. And then there's the appropriations and following the appropriations process to make sure every year that we continually get the funding uh, that it was agreed to in the authorized uh, funding bill. That's good. And how about you, Rich? Yeah, well, you know, I would say uh, to Elena's question, you know, our, our challenge always in the SWAT Nation is helping our part of the country be aware of that transit 
resources that exist, you know, our view, our, our role is to make sure that transit matters everywhere and not just on the East Coast, the Great Lakes, but in the Southwest part of the country too. And now that the policymakers are there, we got to make sure that local and state officials understand that well. And we have eight states. Uh, so we will be supporting our, the state associations in all our eight states over the next few months. Um, a, a big priority for SWATA has always been uh, combating human trafficking uh, through transit. And a lot of you may know Kristen Joyner, my predecessor, did does tremendous work on that. And she's actually involved in a project with CTA and FTA in that. And last thing is we'll be in Austin, Texas, February 26th, 22nd through 26th, uh, co-hosted with uh, Texas Transit Association uh, for our annual conference. So a big will be a big show. Um, and it, what better place right now than Austin, where they just passed a huge yes. voter-approved measure, yeah, and Randy Clark yeah. is leading a great team there at Cap Metro. Um, and we'll be doing things like taking folks out and saying there will be a subway station here in eight years, and kind of visualizing what that investment may, uh, looks like. So we're really excited about that in a few months. That's great. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here today on the show. This has been a really insightful look at a pivotal moment for our industry where we're seeing massive amounts of funding and not just the special relief funding from COVID. This is, you know, regular increased fundings in the levels that Ed talked about that have been unheard of up until now. It really kind of, um, uh, you told me earlier, we got back to the, to the, tell us about one last, let me ask you about that 40, 20, 20, or the, uh, tell us about that real quick as our last little well we here, because I want people to understand how important this is. Since the 1980s, there's been a, uh, an agreement uh, where 40% of the transit funds, the capital funds, would go to uh, the state of good repair uh, rail programs, 40% to new starts, and 20% would go to bus transit funding. Um, MAP 21, uh, that authorization bill, took it down to less than 8% going to bus transit funding. This bill, uh, one of our goals was to get the program back to the 40-40-20 split on transit funding. We'll be about 19% uh, on per average, but actually it'll be 20% because we're not sure that one area will get a complete 40%. Awesome. So that's another good outcome from the big perspective. And you guys have been great sharing with us the big perspective. Scott Bergen of CTAA, Rich Sampson of SWATA, Ed Redfern from the Bus Coalition, and Leah Carey. Thank you so much for explaining to everyone um, where we're going when it comes to funding and also operations. The new model that's emerging out of the COVID pandemic really is changing the face of what public transportation is to our communities. Thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth with our special guests, Scott Bogren, Ed Redfern, Rich Simpson, and Aaliyah Carey, and for their insights into the U.S. infrastructure bill that really will be a turning point for transit funding in the U.S. Next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we'll be talking about data, specifically geographic data, and how it's going to help transit agencies make decisions now and plan for the future. So, Until next week, ride safe and ride happy.